0: And if you'd remain standing for the reading of God's Word and make your way to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea 4. It's uh, always good if you're able to bring your Bibles or turn your Bibles on your phones. Though we have the words on the screen. Uh, often it's like trying to teach you driver's ed without a car. Let's, where the, how does the gas pedal work? It's all ethereal until you see it. And I think it's good and important that we be a church Who not just hears the word, but sees the word of God. And it is good to be with you all. We are uh, going through Hosea chapter 4, all of the chapter this morning. And so um, we believe that this is God's word. And Hosea 4 verse 1, we begin. Hear the word of the Lord. O children of Israel, For the Lord has controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness, or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed flows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend. Let no one accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sin against me, and I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for iniquity, and it shall be like people, like, pre- like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, the new wine, which take away the understanding... My people inquire a piece of wood. And their walking staff gives them oracles, for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on top of mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak and poplar and terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore, your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though they play the whore, though you play the whore of Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not Gilgal, nor go up to Beth Haven and swear not as the Lord lives, Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. They can now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. And wind has wrapped them in its wings because they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. This is God's word. Can we pray? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word is brutally honest, that you do not glaze over the sins of your people, that you see all. And we say thank you because you do not leave us where we are. You were saying these things to Israel and you were saying these things to us out of a heart of love You, the great physician, are willing to confront our disease of sin and do a work of removing those things. And so we pray that as this message may sting, may be simple, may be a reminder to many of us, I pray that it would be profound. I pray that your spirit would speak, that we would listen, and that we would grow in you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, you guys can be seated. Aloha. It's good to be with all of you this morning. And uh, if you don't know me or you're visiting for the first time, my name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And we are humbled and thankful that on this holiday weekend that uh, you are spending time with us. And uh, I'm not sure how your turkey... Hangover is going. I know Trip to fan has gotten the best of me. I'm still trying to wake up from Thursday, the food coma that I was in. But um, it's really good to be in the Word of God with you, and we're thankful that of all the things you're doing, that you're here worshiping with the people of God on Sunday morning. One of the things that we've said before at this church is that one of the most important things about you is what you think about God. The most important thing about you are your thoughts towards God and, and that is that those thoughts must be aligned with this, how God reveals himself in the Bible. A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This is vital for the worshiper of God. It is vital for the child of God, for the worshiper of God, for those chosen by God, similar to Israel, to have thoughts of God that are right and that are true. But that alone isn't actually enough. C.S. Lewis heard A.W. Tozer pen those wise and true words. And though he, I think, partially disagreed, he actually disagreed as well. And he wrote publicly in a disagreement with what A.W. Tozer said. And C.S. Lewis added to what Tozer said. Tozer said, remind you, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. C.S. Lewis said, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. So yes, it's good that you and I have right thoughts about God, and that what we think about God is important. But C.S. Lewis says, actually, what God thinks about you is infinitely more important than what you think about God. But the thing is, both are true. And what we see in Hosea chapter 4, in these verses we just read, is both unfolding in this story. As the drama between Hosea and Gomer fall into the background... What comes into the foreground, what comes into our focus in chapter 4 and really for the rest of this book is insightful realities of how God thinks about his people and what his people think about God. Both are happening here. So in chapter 3 you have this this conclusion of a prophetic promise that is played out through the practical lives of, of Gomer and Hosea. You have this romantic story through the ugliness of Gomer's prostitution where her husband pursues and loves unconditionally. And as he loves his bride unconditionally, he goes and he purchases Gomer off the auction block of slavery and brings her back home and loves her again. We see the initiating love of God made evident. We see the irresistible love of God that once when God makes his love known to us, and we receive his love, and we experience his love, how can we go and be spiritual adulterers anymore? How can we go pursue other gods? But here we sit in comfort, right? Thousands of years later, we know what's going to happen. We know that Jesus is the promise husband who will bring Israel God's bride back to God himself that through Jesus coming he would accomplish all that so we can look at Hosea as though you know your favorite movie that you've watched you know maybe 10 times 20 times you have the lines memorized you know every good action scene or or cliffhanger moment in the movie and it just And when you're watching it with a friend, maybe you're that person who's like, watch this part, really, really watch this part. And it's like, man, if you're that person, don't be that person. (laughs) Do us all a favor, let us enjoy the movie without your narrative or your commentary because you kind of ruin the moment, right? And so we can oftentimes approach Hosea uh, outside of the moment of the story, knowing the end. But Hosea chapter four, at present, if we enter into The slippers of those who live in Israel then the story is not over yet they're still living in rebellion they're still living in prosperity and they have yet to face all the consequences so as God is preparing them about what is to come what God is doing in chapter 4 as he is confronting them because redemption has yet to happen for them so he's confronting them and And his confrontation, he's going to counsel them. He's going to give practical counsel, spiritual counsel, and confrontation through them. And so verse one through three is really the confronting. God is going to bring some spiritual sobriety to their deception. And then chapter four to chapter, or chapter four, verse four to verse 19 of this chapter, God's counsel will begin to uproot some of their spiritual idolatry. He's going to console them. I think a question that we have yet to answer as we have been studying for a few weeks now in Hosea 4 is how does an entire nation chosen by God wander from Him? We're like not talking about a room of this size of people, we're talking about thousands upon millions of people. How do they wander? How can the very people who were slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh and the oppression of Pharaoh, how can those same people who experienced that deliverance forget about God? How can the people who crossed the Red Sea, the same people, same people, how can the people who crossed the Red Sea, who Receive the law of God. Be simultaneously worshiping a golden calf as Moses is on the mountaintop receiving the law of God. Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. So as God confronts his people and he counsels his people, he is counseling them against the the apathy of forgetfulness of God. In verse 1, we read, The word of the Lord, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has controversy with the inhabitants of the land, and there is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God and the land. So in our previous messages in Hosea, what Hosea has made clear to us is that God, again, How does God think about us? What are God's thoughts toward us? Going back to what C.S. Lewis said, well, what we've seen so far in Hosea is that God is jealous for the adoration of his people. God is jealous for the worship of his people. Now, his jealousy is not your jealousy or my jealousy. His jealousy is not out of envy or sin. God's jealous for us because God knows he created us as his image bearers to enjoy him and to worship him. God doesn't need our praise, but God enjoys our praise because we were made to exalt him. So God is jealous for us. We also have seen in Hosea that God cares about how you engage him relationally. That God is not like Baal, my master. That God is not a transactional type of God. God doesn't want you to relate to him that way. In fact, what Hosea has made clear uh, at the end of chapter 2 is that God says, Do not call me Baal not relate to me as a master over you. He says, call me husband. Because I am your husband. You are my bride. And we know one another intimately. We enjoy one another. We have relationship with one another. And I say this all because do you see in chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three, what God is making clear and evident is that God cares about how you think about him. God cares that you know him. And God cares about your careless thoughts towards him. So God says, the Lord has controversy. Hear the word of the Lord. There is no knowledge in the land. See, sadly, where many Christians stop is where God tells us to begin. Christians love hearing about God's love. Christians love talking about, oh, God is gracious and he is forgiving and... And, and God is good all the time. He's good all the time. We say those things. And sadly, that's actually where many people stop. God is good. God is love. Let's stop right there. Let's not move any further. Let's just stay on the shallow end of the pool and not grow in any deeper or richer understanding of God. We don't want to. In fact, I was talking to a pastor a few months ago. I'm not going to mention his name. But we were having a conversation and we were talking about pastoring and ministry. He's like, oh yeah, you guys, you guys study the books of the Bible. <laughs> yes, we do. We study books of the Bible. Like, you guys, what do you do? <laughs> like, what, what are you guys doing on Sunday morning? It's like, well, we do, but, but we like to just take a verse and keep it really simple because, you know, the assumption that he had was that somehow moving into greater understanding and knowledge is negative for worship. And he's a pastor. Now I'm not saying we got it all together or we've got this thing dialed down. By no means. Yet at the same time, we must realize that knowledge of God is not the enemy of worship. In fact, this is the controversy. This is the accusation. Israel is worshiping. They're singing. They're praying. They're doing all of the same spiritual religious activity that they were doing before, but they do not have knowledge of God What we see here is just the opposite. And so God is confronting Israel's poor knowledge. Let's just think about this logically. If we are going to have affectionate and true worship of God, we have to know God. So when we say, enjoy God, enjoy Him. Relish His glory. Trust Jesus serve and spend your life for His namesake, love God. Well, How can we if we don't know Him? Why would we want to enjoy God? Why would we want to love God, serve God, trust in Jesus if we don't know Him? What Hebrew poetry and this chapter is pointing out to us that true worship of God is not without true knowledge of God. We cannot truly worship God if we do not truly know God as he is. Not as we wish him to be, by the way, in our minds. But as he reveals himself to be in scripture. Because what Israel was doing is they liked God. They began to forget about God. And they began to worship the Canaanite god Baal. We know that from previous chapters. And they diluted worship of God. And they confused God. And God like, you don't know me. You've forgotten about me. And because they do not rightly know God, they cannot rightly worship God. Israel has gone astray. Look, the assumption of verse 1 is that they have not been hearing the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. Hear the word of the Lord. Don't ignore God's word. Because God cares about how his people think about him. And when when we think about God, our understanding of God should have the awareness that God cares about our thoughts towards him and that those thoughts are true and that those thoughts are right. In other words, you could say God cares about our theology. God cares about our theology. Now, theology is not a scary word. It's not something we should avoid. Theology is... Actually, Theo, God,ology, the study of. Theology is what? The study of God. But it's not just the study of God. Theology is also the knowledge of God, knowledge of Him. Theology is also the explanation of God. And the reason why God is calling his people in verse 1 of chapter 4 to hear the word of the Lord of the children of Israel is because the primary way God has chosen to reveal and make himself known to a people is through the scriptures. And the way we should develop our theology is not through our spiritual experience. It's not through blending God with other gods. The way our theology should be informed is by knowing God's word by studying God's word, by absorbing God's word and letting his word change us because if there's an attribute of God that is revealed in the Bible that you or I don't like, guess who's wrong? We're wrong. He's not wrong. And if we're like, well, you know, God, I kind of like this thing about you, but I don't know if I like that about you, so I'm going to worship this about you and not this about you. You know what you've just done? We've created an idol and we're not actually worshiping the true and living God. Now I'm not saying God can't reveal himself in other ways. He does. What is is the primary way God speaks to us? His word. His word is the primary way God speaks to us. Now the other way that scripture acknowledges is God reveals himself through creation. But the problem with that revelation of God through creation is not that God reveals himself in creation. It's that we see Creation through the lens of our sinfulness. So we distort what God has made clear in creation, which is why people make gods of the ocean, gods of volcanoes, gods of their own making, gods of even here we see that they're worshiping um, my people, inquire a piece of wood. Verse 12. My people, they're inquiring a piece of wood. Did wood part the Red Sea? Well, it did. But who made the wood part the Red Sea? God did. But do you see, look at this. The empire inquire a piece of wood for their walking staff gives them oracles. You see how perverted and twisted people are? That without true knowledge of God, we will fill that void with some sort of theology, because everyone is a theologian. Even if you don't believe in God, you have a theology of God. You have an understanding of God. You have an explanation of God, because everyone is a theologian. And so when God says, hear the word of the Lord, he is saying, in hearing the word of God, that is how you're going to have understanding. And our understanding of God must align with as he is, not what we wish him to be. And so Hosea is confronting the nation as God's mouthpiece, and he says, the Lord has controversy with you. What is the controversy? God's controversy with his people is that they have poor theology. (laughs) I wonder if God would have similar controversies with with us today. And this this understanding, this poor understanding, by the way, is widespread. Look at verse 4, let no one contend. Let no one accuse. In other words, he's saying, oh, and when you think you're going to fight against what I'm telling you and when you're going to come up with an excuse, he says, just don't do it. Save yourself. Don't do it. For with you is my contention, O priests. You shall stumble by day and the prophet will stumble with you by night and I will destroy your mother and my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being priests. so, So we'll get to the consequences here in just a minute but not only is this a national collective problem of Israel even the priests the priests have forgotten God. And, and their ministries are successful. I mean, they're getting the, the New York Times bestseller. People are showing up at Sunday or Saturday on Sabbath and things are going really well. They're getting the downloads. They're getting the likes. They're getting the popularity. And guess what God says? Verse 7, He's going to turn their glory into shame. So God is going to reject those who are supposed to teach people the word of God. I want us to hear what God is saying. Verse 8, people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. One of the greatest enemies of our faith is forgetfulness. Lack of knowledge. Lack of recognition. And so God says they reject knowledge. And you guys, if we're going to be honest, this, this controversy, like I said, is alive and well in Christianity today. People claim to have knowledge of God and know God, but their theology does not align with the Bible. So practically, Rob Bell is a great example who wrote a book called Love Wins, which is utter nonsense, where he basically says that that love conquers all things and ultimately, in the end, everyone's going to be in heaven with God one day and that God is not going to punish people for sin. The problem with that is is it's not theological as God defines wrath and punishment. Oprah Winfrey, she's... Got a brand. she's got a thing going for he. She claims to know God, but her theology is not aligned with this, therefore she is not worshiping God. Now that's, those are more obvious things. And so if you like Oprah, you can like Oprah, and the, your curtains hang fine. And I don't know what Oprah does. I don't even really know what she does. <laughs> she's a lotion. She's got a talk show. I know she does a few things. But don't go to her for theology. Less obvious, though are those who uh, like to cherry pick theology. So they'll they'll, they'll hook one thing and they'll make that one thing their main thing and when they want to make that one thing their main thing, it's like the one string guitar that they play and all other things kind of go by the wayside. So they'll pick an attribute of God, for example, and they'll love that attribute of God and they'll worship that attribute of God. What about the other attributes of God? Oh, those things don't really matter because, you know, this is what we like about God. Or this is what we like about God's word. And they'll take this thing and they'll make it the main thing and they'll claim to know God but in reality, they're not having a full understanding or knowledge of God. And even less subtle, less obvious than that are those who are vague. They're priests or they're people who are vague and they're unwilling to take a stance on any cultural issue because they're afraid of the repercussions. They know what is true, but they're not going to be public and stand on what is true because they're going to be hated publicly. They claim to know God, but they're withholding knowledge from people. And then, and then even, even less obvious than that, where I think this we're getting closer and closer to home, I think even as christians today and there's trends and music and song and church movements that are happening where it's like jesus only now i love focusing on jesus our vision as a church is amplify jesus and people will say let's focus on jesus only and that's a good endeavor but if someone asks the question why jesus only why should jesus be our exclusive and only focus Why? Well, hopefully our answer would be, well, he's powerful. He is infinite. He is eternal. He is God. He is the sacrifice for sin. He lived the perfect life for sinful man. He paid their punishment on the cross for those sins where the wrath of God was poured out. He was crucified, died, buried. On the third day, he rose again. Presently, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. I hope that would be our answer to Jesus only. And not just, Jesus kind of loves. And guess what happens when you answer the question, why Jesus only? What did I just do? Theology. When we answer the question, why Jesus? The moment we begin to answer, we're doing theology. Because theology is inevitable. God, as revealed in. Hosea and other parts of the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus doesn't mean anything unless we have knowledge of him. What is Jesus? We can't worship Jesus if we don't have some sort of knowledge of him. We can say we love Jesus. We can say he is worthy of praise. We can give all glory and honor to him. But if we don't know why, we're not doing, we're rejecting theology. Now, I'm not trying to guilt you this morning, by the way. Some of you are here, and you have very little theology of Jesus. If that's you, if you do not have a rich and deep understanding of Jesus, I'm not beating you over the head. I'm just trying to let God's word challenge you in a way that that God rejects our nonsense. He says, know me. And if you do have deep and proper and right biblical theology of Jesus, have you arrived Like, have you exhausted the well of understanding God? It's going to take an eternity, an eternity to understand and know this God. We see through a glass dimly. And so we keep pursuing, we keep desiring knowledge, we keep wanting to know him more. So when it comes to what God thinks about us, If knowledge is so important to God, what God is saying here is know me. Understand me. Don't reject me. Pursue me more. And God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, when he lived on this earth, in John 17, verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life. This is eternal life. What is he going to say? That you know. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life means we have knowledge of Jesus. That's why theology is so important. This is why God says the consequences are so important Dire that a people, verse 14 at the end, look at this, at the end of verse 14, and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. He's not just talking about physical ruin on earth. There is eternal condemnation waiting for those who resist the knowledge of Jesus. And so here, what is God doing in chapter four when he says he will bring their glory to shame? They will try to eat but not be satisfied, verse 10. Verse 10. They shall try to play the whore but not multiply. They sacrifice on top of mountains but it's all meaningless. What is God saying in in these things? God is stripping away their religion. He's stripping away their activity. He's He's going to strip away their prosperity and he's going to uncover their unbelief. If there's anything we see here to connect what we've been talking about, idolatry and worship of false gods, unbelief, In God is a theology that leads to idolatry. Lack of understanding will lead to worship of other gods. And this is why it's a controversy with God. This is why God warns them the way that he does. They think they know God, but they don't. They think they know him. He says, you don't know me. You don't know me. And Paul says in Titus 1.6, he says, therefore they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Albert Moeller says, beliefs have consequences. No matter how right or how wrong our beliefs or knowledge are, all of our beliefs carry with them consequences. And the reason we do what we do Think about this, guys. The reason you do everything that you do and I do is because beneath our activity is a belief system that is called theology. It's inevitable. And so God is moving towards them. And as God moves towards them right now, God is confronting them. He's confronting their ignorance and he's showing that their ignorance leads to sin. Verse three, therefore, or verse two, there is where there is no faithfulness, where, what is there? Swearing. And some of you are like, oh gosh, what does he mean by swearing? He's actually speaking here of swearing, of using the Lord's name in vain. Lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. And then lastly, verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols. He's saying Israel has joined themselves to idols. A lack in knowledge of God leads to unfaithfulness and it leads to no love. In fact, the word here in verse 1 for faithful is integrity. And how can we know if our theology is off when we are lying to one another? When we are stealing from one another, when we are doing all of these things murdering, adultery, uh, joining ourselves to idols, taking the Lord's name in vain. It is revealed, our theology is revealed in how we treat one another. Because authentic theology overflows to bless God and others. Israel, you guys, Israel is not loving one another. They're not loving one another. Jesus said in John 13, 35, the world will know that you are my disciples by the theology that you have. No, as a result of knowing him, the world will know that we know Jesus by the way that we treat one another, by the way that we have love for one another. Knowing God will be demonstrated in how we love one another as a people. That's the point. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because you know him. And as you know him, what do we do? We love our neighbor as ourself. The point is, our vertical relationship with God is lived out horizontally among his people. And Israel's broken relationship with God broke the fellowship of the koinonia that they were supposed to have. And so God says in verse 6, I reject you, priests, since you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children. Verse 7, They increase. The more they sin against me, I will change them into shame. God tells Israel in verse 17, Leave Ephraim, leave Judah alone. You've got enough problems of your own. I'm going to keep you isolated in northern Israel. Don't go out and try to do anything for my name'sake because you need to be quarantined because you have a disease. And then verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. So it's not that God is going to punish an innocent people. Everyone has forgotten God. Why is God saying mothers, daughters, children, family are going to pay the price? God is trying to personalize sin. And when we forget God, it affects other people. It does. Sin is never isolated. It always infects other people. D.A. Carson says this, one generation believes in something, the next generation assumes it, the following generation forget it and deny it this is where Israel is. And from priest to every person, rejection of God, what we see, rejection of God will lead to cultural decay. We live, it's 2018. How is it going for us? Horrible, right? We may have prosperity like Israel did, but culturally, where are we? We're going to hell in a handbasket. And I'm not trying, I'm just not trying to. Aren't you glad you came to church Sunday morning, by the way, right? <laughs> I'm so glad. I didn't hear any amens in that, right? But it's true. It's inevitable because when the very people, like the priests, are supposed to be proclaiming God, sharing the oracles of God, but people are worshiping maybe Moses' staff or something stupid like that. We've exchanged the truth for a lie. God is like, no, don't do that. You have to pursue knowledge of me through my word. And when you reject me, your families are going to pay and culture is going to pay. And who is responsible? Verse 14, the middle. For the men themselves go, women, are held responsible by God, but God has a unique accountability and a responsibility he has placed upon men. That men are the ones who are held with a greater responsibility. Now, if you don't like that, sorry, but it's God's word. When Adam was in the garden with Eve, Eve sinned and gave in to the temptation with the serpent, but she was deceived. Adam willfully disobeyed. And when God is pursuing both of them, what does he say? Adam, where are you? Why? Because God holds men uniquely responsible. So it could be whether you're a single man and how you treat your, your sisters in Christ, whether it could be husbands of families, Leaders, entrepreneurs, God holds a unique responsibility with with men in ways that he does not. Because when the men go, there goes the culture. When men forget about God, who pays? Culture and families. So men, that's who God is calling out here. May we not forget about God. Your fantasy team is maybe... Kind of important to you. But guess what? I don't care. Because it's fantasy. Oh, but my real team. You can like your real team. But do you know more stats about your favorite ball player than you do about Christ? Do you devote more time to video games than you do to knowing God and feeding your family the word of God? Do we, do we get home and sit and chill to rest because we're tired? don't want to engage, and I'm just, I'm putting myself out here, because I, video games aren't my thing, but, but I have my, and you know, I, I just, you know, I don't want to go to bed that tired, so I'm going to rest when I get home. No, it's game on when I get home. It's time to serve and love my family, not live for my own pleasures. You guys, do you see, men, we are called to have knowledge of God. May we not forget God, and it's so sad to see men settle. I, I've done this myself for mediocrity. We do it. Have more knowledge of other things. And I'm not I, I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy the game or to have a hobby, but at what expense? Knowledge of God. Leading and loving. And it's 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 crazy. Like in, in the church, it's the very few places of, of, of anywhere in our culture, even where people are okay with mediocrity. if someone's been walking with Jesus for 25, 30, or 40 years, we should be able to go to them and absolutely immediately expect, can you pour into me? Because I need, Tell me what you, how it's working because we need that. But in the church, sadly, that's just not the case in some ways. I'm not saying for everyone. But can you imagine if you're like becoming a doctor and, and you go to talk to someone who's been a physician for 50 years and you say, can you please teach me? They probably have something to say. But in the church, if someone has knowledge of God, we immediately assume that they have right theology or they should be in ministry. Why? We should all have knowledge of God. We should all pursue knowledge of Him. Now, I'm not just talking about men, I'm talking about all of us, you guys. I don't want us to be a people who are ap- apathetic in our pursuit and knowledge of God. Again, not to beat you over the head, but to see what God thinks about us. Do you guys, God cares about our theology. He cares about our knowledge of him. And what happens when we give ourselves over to mediocre pursuits instead of knowledge of God? What happens? What, what fills the void? Let's go back to verse two. You know what fills the void? Swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bounds. Bloodshed flows. Bloodshed. It's a mess. When God invites you to know him, he is inviting you to greatest pleasure and enjoyment. He is inviting you to drink from the, the well of living waters. He is inviting you to eat and to be satisfied. And it's better than, than anything we could do on our own. It is important about what you think about God, but what's most important is what God thinks about you. Friends, be empowered by his Holy Spirit to pursue greater knowledge of him so that we as a people would not be destroyed by a lack of knowledge. So what does God think of you this morning? What does God think of me? It's the most important thing infinitely more important than anything else. If we are in Christ, if we belong to him as child, God loves us, God has compassion on us, God forgives us. If you do not know this God, a people without understanding shall come to ruin, verse 14. It does not end well. And it may feel like God is not loving you when he says that, but it's actually the most loving thing he can do for us. Know him. Know that eternal life is only in Jesus Christ. Trust what he did for you on the cross. Confess your sins and believe and you will be saved. Father God, we thank you for these hard truths that you counsel us and that you confront us in your word. Father, I pray that for those men that are in here this morning who are apathetic, I just pray, God, that we would pursue knowledge of you, that we would enjoy you. I pray for women and children, singles, married, young and old, that we would realize that what you have invited into is life. Your word calls us to life. Your word calls us to know you through enjoyment. Jesus' eternal life is knowing God, and it is knowing you. Stephen, as we're praying, if there are those this morning, Jesus, who do not know you, I prayed that they would come to faith, that they would come to believe, that they would have a knowledge of you this morning. And so as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you do not know Jesus, you are invited to know God. So do you know him? Believer, even if you do know God, ask God to give you a greater capacity to want to know him more. If you aren't hungry for truth and for righteousness and for his goodness, ask him to give you that desire. Confess your sins, for he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Believe that Jesus is real. Believe that he is God sent from heaven who lived on this earth to pay for your sin, that he rose again on the third day, and that he is king of kings, and that he is Lord of lords, and that your way of doing life is not better than his way of doing life. Surrender to him, for it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone are we saved believe. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.